the podcast from Belmont Chapel in Exeter, sharing the story, living the life. For more information, go to belmontchapel.org.uk. Good morning. Good morning. It's great to have you with us this morning. My name is Saz Flint. I'm one of the leaders at Belmont Chapel. Uh, and it is my great privilege to take us through the second half of Galatians chapter 5. If you were here last week, uh, either in person or online, um, you would have been here when Paul Cook helped us understand the freedom that we have in Christ, the freedom we have from the Jewish law, and that was particularly relevant to the first readers of this letter in the Bible, and the freedom we have for living, for living a life of love and kindness. And then in verse 16 of chapter 5, the Apostle Paul, the writer of this letter to the early church in Galatia, introduces a new idea. And this new idea is to help the early Christians and to help us to know how we live out our faith in Jesus, how they were to live out their new faith in Jesus. Verse 16 says this, so I say, and when Paul says that, he means, listen, come on, listen up, people. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. If you are a follower of Jesus this morning, either here or watching online, you don't have to follow a set of detailed rules and regulations and laws to earn your status as a loved child of God. That was true for the Galatians nearly 2,000 years ago, and it's true for us this morning today. We do not have to follow a detailed set of rules and regulations to earn our status as loved children of God. Now, we do have a rule for living. We only have one rule for living, and it's this. Our only rule for living as followers of Jesus is to live by the Spirit. That's what Paul is saying. That's how you work out your faith in Jesus, the Son of God. Our only rule for living is to live by the Spirit. I just want you to sort of let that sink in for a minute. What do you make of that? Our only rule is to live by the Spirit. It was really, really radical 2,000 years ago, what Paul was saying. And it's really, really radical, I think, today. Remember Jesus' words in the Gospel of John. Jesus said this to his closest followers, if you love me, and they did try and love him as best as they could, if you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and this is where Jesus tells them how they're going to do this, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate, a helper to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. That's John chapter 14, verses 15 to 17. Jesus didn't leave us alone. When he ascended back to heaven, he didn't leave us alone without his presence. He wants us to follow his commands. 
And the simplest way to do that is to live by the spirit, the spirit that he gives us. The spirit of truth, Jesus calls it here. Uh, The Holy Spirit, we know it has sometimes. The spirit of Jesus, all phrases for God's Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. God living in us, God's spirit in us. So, how we live as Christians today, how we live as followers of Jesus, our ethics, so what is right and wrong, our lifestyle, what we prioritise, our economics, how we spend our money, our community life, how we treat one another, and what we do together. In all of this, we only have one rule, and the rule is to live by the Spirit. And that's it. That's all I have to say to you this morning. Let's pray. Spirit of the living God, help us this morning. Lead us. Guide us. Show us in love where we need to change and grow. We believe your word is living and active. We believe your spirit lives in us to guide and prompt us. We want to understand you and your world better. We want to honour the name of Jesus. Spirit of the living God, we ask you to help us. Amen. I really wish I was bold enough to just leave it there. You wish I was bold enough to leave it there as well, don't you? (laughs) I haven't got that much more to say, but I do want to help us understand the second half of Galatians a little five, a little bit more. Um, Galatians 5, the second half of it, is really simple to understand. It's simple to understand, but it is not easy to do. And it goes like this. There's four points. First, in verse um, 16... It says verse 1 by there, by there, but it's not. It's verse 16. Live by the Spirit. Living by the Spirit produces something called the fruit of the Spirit. And we read about those in verses 22 to 24. And the fruit of the Spirit kind of makes the law redundant, all these rules and regulations redundant. Second point, living by the Spirit is opposite to the sinful nature, verse 17. Third point, followers of Jesus actually live in conflict between the spirit and our sinful nature. And the fourth point, which is really the first point said again, keep in step with the spirit because you belong to Jesus. So let's go through the the first three of those points. And for the fourth and final point, I'm going to ask one of our congregation to come up Don't worry, they are prepared to come up and tell us a story uh, of how living by the Spirit worked out in their everyday life. So the new rule, the new rule, Paul says, to join all these different people together, um, the Jewish converts to Christianity, the Greeks, the Romans, the new rule as you live in community together is to live by the Spirit. And this can be translated um, also as walk by the Spirit. There is an active and a passive part to this. We actively walk with God as followers of Jesus, and we passively surrender to God's Spirit guiding us. 
So the Galatian Christians had trusted and believed in the saving work of Jesus Christ, just like we have. They live by faith in the Son of God. Now, Paul is saying to them, live the life. It's the same as as we say, share the story, live the life. And as a follower of Jesus, that means walking with God's spirit. And you can't live the life as a follower of Jesus if you don't live with and walk with God's spirit. And living by the rule of God's spirit produces fruit. And fruit is an image of a life characterized by these things. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And Paul says, against these things, there is no law. And what I think he means is this. If we live like this, if we truly live like this, we will be unable to break God's laws. So it's like they become redundant. There is no need for them because our hearts are changed. So let me give you two examples of this. So if I am living in God's spirit and growing in love and faithfulness and self-control, as a married woman, I won't have an affair. There doesn't need to be a law against committing adultery because I'm growing in love, love for God, love for my husband. I'm growing in faithfulness to God to the community around me, faithfulness to the promises that I made to my husband all those years ago. And I'm growing in self-control, and I'm not, with the Spirit's help, giving in to temptations, whatever they may be for me or for you. If I'm living in the Spirit and growing in love, faithfulness, and self-control, as a married woman, I won't have an affair. How about this one? If I am, despite really difficult circumstances, living with patience, that God will one day wipe every tear from my eye, and joy, a deep joy, that I am loved and known by God, the God of the universe, despite tough times, then I won't envy. I won't envy my my sister or brother who has more than me. There won't be disunity in the church because of my envy. Do you see how it works? When we live by God's spirit, when we truly live by God's spirit in us, because of what Jesus has done, we can't go wrong. And I also think that when we see anyone showing these things, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, It's because this is God's world. This is God's world. And God's image is imprinted in everyone's humanity. I mean, aren't these things really the best of humanity? I mean, what a list of good things. How our country, how our city would be changed if people really lived like this. We get glimpses, I think, don't we? Like Captain Tom Moore at the age of 99, putting all his love and perseverance, another word for patience, and self-control into walking 100 laps of his garden for the NHS. And our hearts, they, they burst at these kind of stories, don't, don't they? Have you ever wondered why that is? Well, I think it's because these things that God gives us through his spirit are imprinted in who we are 
We're made all humans in the image of God. So my prayer is not that Christians will have a monopoly on these things, because we don't, do we? We clearly don't. But that those around us who show themselves to be made in God's image by showing these things will come to really know the gracious, compassionate God of the world through Jesus Christ. Living by the Spirit, our second point, is that living by the Spirit is completely opposite to the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are opposites. The rule of the Spirit is completely opposite to the sinful nature. God's Spirit is good and leads to human flourishing and the coming of God's kingdom. Sinful nature is bad and leads to dehumanizing subhuman behaviors. And Paul lists a whole range of behaviors that when you read them, what do they end up doing? They end up destroying lives. They destroy our connection with God. They destroy our communities. And these things can have no part in the kingdom of God. Uh, I want you to listen to some of the words in the message translation uh, of verses 19 to 21. It's not everything, but it's just a few, a few words said in slightly different language that I hope will help us see um, these behaviours for what they are. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex. Frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness. Trinket gods. Magic show religion. All-consuming yet never satisfied once. A brutal temper. An impotence to love or be loved. Small-minded and lopsided pursuits. Uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions, ugly parodies of community. Ugly parodies of community. That sums up what was in danger of happening to the church in Galatia. They were biting and devouring one another, it says in verse 15, because of their disagreements, because of their disunity. And if we slip into these behaviours, we need to stop them. We need to stop them because they bring dishonour to the name of Jesus and his church. And they are not characterised by a life in the spirit. The third point is that the reality for us, living as followers of Jesus, is that we live with a conflict between the spirit and our sinful nature. I think Paul is stating the obvious that we all know. We want to live by the Spirit. We want to be growing all these good things in our life. But we do not do what we want all the time. Or we could say we do what we don't want. Paul, I think when he writes this letter, is a realist. He tells us great truths and then he acknowledges the the reality that we're in conflict with ourselves. And this is an idea he expands in some of his later writings in Romans chapter 7, for example. Go and check it out and see how he describes this. The reality for the follower of Christ is that we are not perfect. Big news. It's It's not really, is it? I think you know that. I know I'm not perfect. 
James Dunn, in his commentary on Galatians 5, puts it like this. It is precisely the coming of the Spirit and the Spirit's action within the believer which sets up or exacerbates the experience of inward contradiction, this this conflict we have inside of us. The presence of the Spirit brings with it a profound dis-ease with the reduction of humanity to the level of animal appetites. Paul sees this as a Christian condition. There is no perfection for the Christian in this life. Now, you may find it bizarre, but I actually find that quite encouraging. I find it quite encouraging because I often notice that conflict, that contradiction, that disease in myself. I notice the conflict between wanting to live by the Spirit and at the same time wanting to gratify my sinful nature. And I'm pretty sure that that conflict means that I am alive in Christ. I don't think there would be a conflict. I don't think there would be a sense of dis-ease if we weren't spiritually alive, if we were spiritually dead. I think that this conflict that we live with as followers of Jesus shows us that we are alive. So if you are exasperated by yourself, if you are discouraged by the conflict between your sinful nature and God's spirit in you, I want to say to you this morning, take heart. Really, take heart. The fact that you care is amazing. God's spirit is alive in you. You are a loved child of God through what Jesus did on the cross. And I think that Paul would remind you what he said to the Galatians in chapter 4, verse 6. God sent, his spirit, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer slaves, but God's children. The conflict you experience does not stop you being a loved child of God. And then Paul says at the end, he says at the end, back to the first point, keep in step with the spirit. This is how you are to live as followers of Jesus. Remember, you belong to Jesus So keep in step with the spirit. Your sinful desires and passions have been crucified, are being crucified. It doesn't affect your status as a child of God. So what I wanted to do is give you an everyday example uh, of what living in the spirit can be like. So Jill has kindly agreed to to come and share a story uh, with us. So... Jill and, I were, Jill and I worked in the Belmont office a few years ago. We did, yes. We had a lot of fun, we? Didn't did, we? yes. Um, we worked. We did a lot of work, though. We did a lot of work. Don't forget that. Don't forget that. Okay, sorry. Yeah. We did a lot of work, and we had a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I remember, Jill, that uh, one time we were chatting, as we sometimes, sometimes when we weren't working, did in the office, um, and you told me of an experience that you had... A few years before, when you were at work, of how the sort of spirit led and guided you. Can you sort of set the scene and tell us about that, that experience? I can. Um, I'd just become a Christian. I'd become a Christian um, nine years ago. Um, I was um, older. Um, and 
I was, I was in work, I was in the office, it was a normal run-of-the-mill everyday day. And being excited um, that I'd um, become a Christian, I was telling my colleagues. And I was telling one particular girl this morning, uh, uh, this morning um, what, what had happened and what it meant and this whole new life. And um, so she was sat about 10 feet away from me and on a different desk. Um, and I was, I was excited. I was explaining. I'm, I, I might just have been baptized. I'm not sure. And, and then that part of the conversation finished. And I was about to launch into some juicy piece of gossip or... Um, say something derogatory or I, I, I can't remember exactly what it was, but I was certainly um, deviating from um, maybe <laughs> what I should have been talking about. And I, I got up from my desk to walk over to her desk to, um, to pour all this stuff into her ear of um, what had happened and who had said what. And as I got up, I felt a hand on my shoulder. I physically felt a hand on my shoulder to, to stop me and that um, arrested me in, in getting up from the chair and I just sat back down again. And so amazed was I that I actually told her what had happened. And, you know, so I was just... What did you make, what did you make of that? What, what do you think that, that sense of physical hand on your shoulder was? I felt a real... I felt a real presence of God, of the Spirit, uh, just a gentle, friendly, parental reminder um, that this is not what I want for you. This is not how we, um, we should be living. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't a telling off. It wasn't anything like that. It was just a gentle, no, don't do that. I think that's what struck me about the story, just how, uh, when you told it to me, just how gentle that presence mm. of God's spirit in our life can be because some of these things that Paul writes are pretty harsh aren't they and sometimes I think we do need a harsh don't do that but God knows us his spirit is in you and I think he knew at that time that that's what you needed um so what did you learn about being a follower of Jesus through through that at that time that I am a member of God's family that he, through his spirit, is with us all the time. That, um, yeah, that, that he's concerned for what we do, what, what we say, maybe what we think, um, on a daily basis in the most mundane and domestic ways. Um, yeah, sat in an office on a, on a, on a morning. That's great. Do you expect God's Spirit to guide you like that now? Oh, yeah, totally. Um, yeah. He surprises me every day by things I think, attitudes I have, changes in my outlook on life, and I know that that's the Spirit. Yeah. And like you said, it's, it comes from within, but it's also external as well. That's brilliant. Thank you so Thank much. You. Thank you, Jill. So our only rule for living is to live by the Spirit 
And it can be really mundane and ordinary and yet beautiful and wonderful. God's spirit in us, guiding us and prompting us. One of the things that God's spirit leads us to, a desire that we have, is to remember what Jesus went through on the cross so that we can have God's spirit in us. Um, So we're going to do that now.